in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Check, 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 check. Everything good? All right, welcome. Here I am. Um... November 22nd. Hey, day after tomorrow is Thanksgiving, but November 22nd on this day in history. Wow. John F. Kennedy blown away. Sorry, John F. K. This is it. This is the day. I am a total assassination buff. Uh, I've, I've always been fascinated with this case. And uh, for a long time, I was like everybody else. Well, who did it? The CIA, the mafia, the, 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 the Russians? What, what the hell happened? And I thought, you know, if I ever become president of the United States or become, like, really, really important, that's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to want to see all the evidence. Well, you don't have to be the president of the United States to see all the evidence or to get access to it. Can you believe it? Kind of inappropriate, but it's kind of gruesome and it's kind of fascinating, too. You can find autopsy photos of John F. Kennedy online. Right? Just like, what? Yes, you can. You can find, you have access to anything. I saw a picture once, and they showed a kid in an impoverished village in the Sudan, in the middle of Africa. But he had a, uh, he had a cell phone. And he said, this kid has access to more information than Bill Clinton did at the White House in 1995. <laughs> Isn't that wild? And there's a picture. They've got the kid in the Sudan, and you got the kid, Bill Clinton, in the Oval Office on a big old clunky phone. It was a push-button phone with a lot of buttons on it. That seemed like the... Wow. Wow. Anyway, it's it's amazing what you can get access to. And I'm just going to say this real quick. And nobody really knows this except for me and in a moment, you guys. Um, let me just offer this first. And I did say it a moment ago. I do think that Oswald killed Kennedy by himself. I can make that case. There's a lot of fake news out there about it. The Warren Commission is actually a very solid piece of uh, investigation. It's not perfect. Uh, and some of the conclusions they made, they actually did not at the time have the data to establish it. But they were right, especially the the magic bullet, you know, the so-called magic bullet and the pristine bullet. And all these people who have never fired a gun in their life said, oh, the bullet could not have done all those things. And it was not damaged enough. They don't know what they're talking about. Um, first of all, the bullet slows down after it hit Conley's neck and it starts to tumble and we can actually pinpoint the moment that it emerges, that it leaves Conley and enters Kennedy. All that stuff can be established. The Zapruder film, they enhanced it, and it's it's Oswald. It is. But putting that aside, because you probably have your own thoughts about that, and it gets very technical and kind of boring when you talk about uh, you know, analyzing frame 133 of the Zapruder film. But here's the part that I think is Unique and not talked about, and it's, well, it's a New York story. So in the summer of, I believe it's 1952, Oswald moves to New York City with his crazy mom, Marguerite, and she really was a total head case, a real, um, a very irresponsible woman. She put her own kids in an orphanage for like four years, okay? I mean, this is not a woman who had it all going on. She was a grifter, actually, and um, these poor kids dragged all over the United States, and they moved to New York. And, by the way, she moves into, like, 16 different apartments while she's in New York. And people say Oswald was a bad kid. Well, he had no father in his life, and uh, 
we can talk about whether he was bad or not. I have some theories on 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 what makes somebody bad and what makes us good. Did I tell you about that hitman from Staten Island? His name was Gregory Scarpa. Well, did I tell you this? And so Gregory Scarpa was a famous hitman, and he was very active in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, and he had a son named Gregory Scarpa Jr. Gregory Scarpa went away to jail because, like his old man, he you know went into the hitman mob business and killed people for a living, in part. He got out of jail two years ago, and I heard a podcast with him. He, why did they let him out of jail? He killed people. Well, it was a humanitarian thing. He's already in his 70s, and uh, he had spent time in Supermax. And, but he told uh, a story that it, he got into a fight at school, and he was like 11 years old, and his father said to him, tomorrow you go back to that school, and you hit that kid so hard you send him to the hospital, and if you don't send him to the hospital, you're not coming home. I don't want you're not coming home until that kid goes to the hospital. Tell him that his son to commit a crime. Eleven years old. Assault somebody so bad they go to the hospital. I mean, if my dad told me to do that, guess what? I would have done it at the age of eleven. My life would be totally, totally, totally different. Am I such a good person that I don't uh, kill people for a living? I I don't know. I mean, if somebody told impressionable Greg at 11, somebody I love and respect like my dad, to do that, I would have. And I probably, I'd be in Supermax by now. Who knows? So uh, so that brings me back to Lee Harvey Oswald. I mean, wh- why he did, who he was, It's it, it gets complicated. And maybe it's not complicated. It's very simple. Some bad person told him to do something when he was a kid and it became hooked, whatever. So... Here's the interesting part. In the summer of, I believe, 1952, he's living with his half-brother, John Pick, and John Pick's wife, Mrs. Pick, and his mother and Lee, and they're all in an apartment on 325, at 325 East 92nd Street, 325 East 92nd Street. The address is actually in the Warren Commission. It's, um, uh, it's between 1st and 2nd Avenue on the Upper East Side. Lee Harvey Oswald lived on the Upper East Side. Yes, it's true. Something interesting, fascinating to me, happens in the summer of 1952. Now, we know this from sociologist reports. We know this from the Warren Commission. We know this from uh, truant officers. Not that he was in school in the summer of 1952, but he was addicted to television. He would he would watch a lot of television. Lee Harvey Oswald, he'd skip school and watch TV, get home um, from school when he went and watch TV. What was there were like five channels anyway? I have figured this out, documented it. It's true. He saw a movie in the summer of 1952, a very special movie that I think changed the course of human history. It was special, not really in and of itself, but it was special that Lee Harvey Oswald saw it where he saw it. The movie is called The House on 92nd Street, and it's about a Nazi spy ring operated in New York City on 92nd Street. Lee Harvey Oswald sees this movie as a 12-year-old kid. He's living on 92nd Street. This movie speaks to him. The movie depicts a young man in America who goes off and goes to spy school sponsored and run by the Nazis. And then the guy comes to America and wreaks all kinds of havoc. And this spy ring is doing stuff. They're sabotaging things and working with the Nazis. And it's all run out of 92nd Street. The house on 92nd Street, and he's living 
in 90, on 90 seconds. Does this make sense to anybody? I think it's fascinating, and I think I figured it out. So um, enough about that. It happened on this day in history. And one more thing. I once met Clint Hill. Clint Hill, the Secret Service agent who came to the rescue. Well, a little bit too late, but I don't fault him. He's the Secret Service agent who jumped on the back of the car, on the back of the limo, trying to save them and cover them. Remember, Jackie Kennedy was running out of the car. Not exactly sure why she did that. I don't blame her. I mean, she was in the kill zone. Was she trying to get out of the kill zone? I've heard some versions that said she was trying to grab a piece of JFK's brain that was on the trunk. Who knows what she was going through? But uh, Clint Hill, Secret Service agent, uh, springs into action, pushes her back into the passenger seat, and uh, the car takes off. Clint Hill. For you know, for years, I was, who is this guy? I had a book called Four Days. It was a coffee table book. Who is Clint? Who is he? You couldn't just Google things back that back then in the 1970s. Who was this guy? You didn't know. It was a mystery. It was a mystery. Well, his name was Clint Hill, and he suffered a lot after what happened. Uh, he was already drinking a lot, and he dr- started to drink even more. Uh, what else happened there? He he beat himself up and had some, uh, some rough times. Finally got himself together. Oh, you know who tried to do a real number on him? Fake news, 60 Minutes. Fake news, 60 Minutes, clobbered the guy, ambushed him, made him very, very upset. He was afraid to show his face in public for a while. But Clint Hill, and he he recovered, and he wrote a book. He's still alive. He's in his 90s. He wrote a book, a two, one called Me and Mrs. Kennedy, which, oh, by the way, between the lines, if you read carefully, yeah, I think that they were an item for a while. It's He basically admits it. Um, doesn't say it out loud, but again, between the lines. And by the way, this is after JFK died, and I think uh, old Clint had split with his wife. So there was uh, something going on there. Uh, what else uh, about that? He fooling around with the... Anyway, he quits. One day he quits, and he's got these great books out. Nice guy, interesting guy, and um, we're glad he did what he did. Now, there's another part of the story that nobody really talks about anymore, but the Secret Service, they were out partying like crazy the night before. They were out till 3 in the morning drinking, and they they have this problem, the Secret Service. Every five years, they get in trouble for the same thing again. I don't understand guys who... Get on a plane, go to another city, and think, okay, I'm going to party my ass off. I get it, I guess. Now I get it because the wife isn't there, right? I mean, because when you're home, you've got responsibilities. You've got to come right home. Where are you? You know, you. but when you're – quite frankly, I just figured that out. I, don't, I mean, it's so why do people go crazy? I remember once in the Marine Corps, I, they sent me on a special assignment all the way over to the Middle East. This is not in a plane that I was flying. I had to go over there with three technicians, three Marines – as soon as we get there, I say, well, we got an early morning, uh, so um, I suggest we all go to bed, but uh, you're free to do whatever you want. However, I just say, don't get separated, all right? Whatever you do, do it as a group, because we're in a foreign country. Nobody knows anybody or anything or anyone, so just, you know, take it easy tonight. I recommend you go to bed. I'm not ordering you to, but just stay together, because we're in a foreign land. What do they do? They all go out, get totally drunk and split up immediately and lose each other, right? <laughs> How about that for uh, obeying uh, soft suggestions from the boss? Uh, they all got arrested. <laughs> they all got arrested by shore patrol. 
And guess who got in trouble for these guys getting arrested? Me, who went home at 9, I went to bed 9.30. I was standing tall. I got in so much trouble, actually. How dare you? But the key thing I did that really saved me, and I, I thank these Marines to this day because they, you know, backed me up. As I, I told them, don't get separated. It wasn't that they stayed out past curfew, and I didn't know there was a curfew. That was on me, and there was, a, but they um, that they got separated. You're not supposed to do it, and I told them not to. I didn't know these guys that well, by the way. So, huh, enough about all that. Uh, oh, back to Clint Hill. Sorry, I kind of lost myself. The whole thing about the Kennedy assassination does. If you want to know more about it. You can read the Warren Commission, which is available online, the entire thing. You know, everybody who says the Warren Commission stinks, nobody's actually read it. There's a great book by Gerald Posner called Case Closed. It's not a perfect book, but it's damn near perfect. And you can um, they debunk all the conspiracy theories. Octavio, uh, I don't usually take calls at this point, but do you have any thoughts on JFK? Yeah, Greg, uh, how are you? Good. Good. Listen, uh, the whole uh, why would why would uh, the the commission appoint Earl Warren? I uh, remember JFK. One of the things that he did is he fired Alan Dulles, Richard Bissell, and and uh, Earl Warren from the CIA, secret cause of the CIA. So he basically wanted to to eliminate the 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 CIA, and he wanted to end the the, the war in Vietnam. He signed a memo in the summer of sixty. All right, all right, wait, wait, wait. All right, let's say the. Earl Warren, Earl Warren was a sitting chief of the. He was a sitting chief chief justice, right? He was the chief justice at the time, I think. Uh, you can look, you can listen to the conversation that Lyndon Johnson had with him. I mean, dude, you need an authority to run this thing. What greater judicial authority is there in America other than the chief justice of the United States? You could the attorney general was too close to it. The the attorney general who was that RFK, the president's brother. You couldn't make him in charge of the investigation, but I would be okay with the chief justice. I don't. What's the problem with having the chief justice look into this thing? RFK knew when he became uh, the attorney general. He went right up to the mob who helped his father. Yeah, I know. I, I I've seen all that stuff. Like I've seen all that stuff. You can you can you can fill books and documentaries and make movies about all that stuff. It's all been made. I'm telling you. It's all been done. I've heard it all before. And I've come and for a while I believed it for a while. I was like, huh, maybe there's a point. Maybe there's a point. There ain't no point. It was Oswald. He did it. He did it. You can go through it. It's so it is quite frankly an open and shut case totally one more on jfk uh actually i gotta go to, uh, we're over time i'll be right back greg kelly, greg kelly on the red apple podcast network hey we'd like to thank one of our uh top fans out there mark asino the great great new york jet he listens all the time he's a big ally of wabc and a big ally of jesus what a believer and uh so inspiring you know, I gave what's-his-name a real hard time, and uh, I stand by it. Uh, Mike Pompeo. Who the hell is this guy? Mike Pompeo's entire brand, while he was in the Trump administration, was loyalty to Trump. He was the most loyal. And now he's out there, excuse me, making fun of Trump, making a bunch of jokes at his expense. Really, should not be doing that. It's confusing to people. Wait, you were the you were the rock-solid. Now you're running against him for president? Um, and what's your message exactly? 
I don't know. I don't know what his message is. I don't know what his – I watched his speech. I still don't know what his message is. I understand America has problems. Why are you the guy to fix them? I don't know. You don't have a sufficient track record. None. Zero. All these all these phony balonies coming forward. Um, I'm going to get back to Mike Pompeo and the good thing he said, but mostly it was, I don't know, gibberish. There were all of them. Let's see. Ted Cruz, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, uh, even DeSantis. Totally on my nerves. Totally, totally, totally. So this Nikki Haley. What a cornball she is. Uh, let's see. And they all think she's uh, uh, cut 22, please. If Biden succeeds in getting back in the Iran deal, I will make you a promise. I've said it before. The next president will shred it on her first day in office. For now, I'll say this. I've won tough primaries and tough general elections. I've been the underdog every single time. When people underestimate me, it's always fun. But I've never lost an election, and I'm not going to start now. Easy there. Easy there. You're in South Carolina. All right, how tough are these elections? I mean, come on. Let's be the right. Oh, I never lost an election for student council, uh, state representative, and governor. Nobody wants to be the governor of South Carolina. Sorry. No, it's a fine place, but boy, oh, boy, high on their own supply. No message whatsoever other than I'm a career politician and this is good for my career. It was shocking how bad they were. All these Republicans who want to try to take it from Trump, they will fail. And I'll be right back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Oh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Wow, the federal government is... um... So, so unpredictable. Well, predictably leftist and lame. Um, remember during the Black Lives Matter summer uh, here in New York City? You know, de Blasio, Schumer, they were on the side of the radicals. I mean, they let all kinds of people go. Uh, a lot of people weren't arrested who should have been arrested. A lot of cops were injured. Don't hear about that anymore, right? Never really heard about that. I remember a cop, a cop got hit in the head with a big piece of wood, happened downtown, uh, right just south of Union Square. Cop gets hit in the head. Another cop comes to that cop's aid and takes his gun out and points it at the guy who did it. Kind of totally, yeah, right? Hitting somebody in the head with a heavy piece of wood, that's deadly force. That's... uh, you can possibly, if, if the circumstances all fit the criteria, you could possibly shoot somebody on the spot for that if you're, excuse me, in law enforcement. If the guy was tr- trying to do it again or trying to, I don't know if you're, if he hits the cop once and runs away, if you can shoot him, but if certainly if he sh- hits him once and then before he hits a second time, you can shoot him. Or if he tries to hit somebody else, I think you can shoot him. Um, you know, what did Bill de Blasio do? He totally ignored the cop who got hit in the head. 
and only said, uh, we're going to investigate the cop who pointed his gun at somebody. Okay, just wow. Yeah, we we give uh, 25,000 cops guns, but we don't want them pointing them at anybody under any circumstances. Well, anyway, Uruj Rahman is an attorney, a lawyer, graduate of Fordham Law School or, yeah, Fordham Law School, NYU undergrad, I believe. Young woman, big future, uh, but she decided to uh, go radical and... Um, Oh, wouldn't this be fun? Let's make some, let's have, let's drink some beer. We'll drink some Bud Lights and then we'll get some gasoline and we'll put the gasoline in the bottles and put some tissue paper on top and then light them and throw them at police cars. This is called terrorism. And Aruj Rahman, the lawyer, this has been ongoing for a while, has just been sentenced. Are you ready? 15 months in prison. 15 months. One five, a little over a year. She could get out way before that. I think a lot of this actually will be under house arrest. She'll be detained in her home. She actually destroyed a police vehicle. The judge, in handing her 15 months, said, you're an incredible person. You just had one bad night. <laughs> Why did just, I can't <laughs> She's not an incredible person. As a matter of fact, she's a radical. These are deeply held beliefs. So we have her on tape. This is just about an hour or so before she threw the Molotov cocktail. Now, does this sound like somebody who this is just, you know, a lark? No, she wanted to burn the whole system down. Listen to this. Cut 38. This protest is a long time coming. People have been frustrated and angry. The murder of Eric Garner, the murder of... Breonna Taylor, the murder of George Floyd, the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, the list goes on and on. This won't ever stop unless we take it all down. Hmm. Rouge Rahman gets a big studied diet of fake news and decides she is going to burn it all down. And she tries to. She burned one police truck to the ground. Good thing there were no cops inside. She gets 15 months in jail for that. Now, compare and contrast that to uh, Mr. Latour, 71-year-old man who was there on January 6th. Now, he was a pretty frustrated guy, too, and he didn't like the system as well. And guess what he did? Looks like he drank some beer and he made his own Molotov cocktails. But he thought better of it. And said, you know what? I'm not going to throw these. <laughs> I'm going to not going to do anything. I'm going to leave them in the car and I'm going to forget about it. I'm going to throw them away. He wandered around the Capitol for a little bit. And um, and he did just that. He threw out those Molotov cocktails. Well, he is a savage beast, according to the judge, and was thrown in jail for seven years. Seven years for a Molotov cocktail that wasn't thrown versus a year and a half for a a Molotov cocktail that was thrown and destroyed a police vehicle. What the hell's going on, huh? I, um, that's something else. That really is disgusting. Federal, the federal judicial system has become an arm of the Democrat Party. They make nice on those they like and they go after those they don't like. And they don't like conservatives. They don't like MAGA. It brings me to this new so-called independent prosecutor, Jack Smith. I told you guys right off the bat, I was the first. He's a nut job. Number one, just his name, his name alone, Jack Smith, totally anonymous, 
No one's ever heard of him. Excuse me. Why is that important? Well, you need a guy who's somewhat famous for a big job like this. That's the way it's supposed to work. Somebody who, like, will just go wherever the evidence takes him without fear or favor. That's the way it's supposed to work. But when you're an employee like Jack Smith, that's what he's been all of his life, an employee, and that's fine, but we need somebody more than employee. You need a star. You need a Kenneth star. You need a, uh, what was that guy's name? Archibald Cox from Harvard. You need a big-name dude who will not, oh, if I don't prosecute anybody, everyone will think I'm lame. Uh, but if I prosecute somebody, they'll think, no, you don't want anybody thinking about what anybody thinks. And that's what Jack Smith, now we know this about Jack Smith. In addition to uh, being totally unqualified and weird, by the way, hanging around the Hague for, who does that? You know, oh, war crime prosecutor. It sounds prestigious, but as I pointed out on my show a couple of nights ago, the docket is empty. He has not scored any convictions over there. It's a great big bureaucracy that, oh, by the way, the American uh, government, we're not a signatory to The Hague. We're not part of it. We recognize that there was way too much uh, potential for unchecked power and prosecutorial abuse. So the United States never signed the uh, treaty that ratified the International uh, War Crime Tribunal. Isn't that interesting? Because we saw the potential for abuse. And even Bill Clinton, they were worried about uh, the war crime, war crime tribunal. I look, I hate war crimes, of course, you know. But it's a, it's become very political, and it's also become very anti-American. So all the war crimes going on, what do they start doing? Hassling American troops in Afghanistan. Now we have our own robust system for investigating uh, war crimes. People are thrown in jail all the time. One of the many reasons to not go to war, oh, by the way, and then intellectual pinheads like uh, Paul Wolfowitz never understood this, never could understand this, because he never served in the military. If you send 130,000 guys with guns, 18 to 21, halfway around the world, a lot of bad stuff is going to happen. It's just, it will happen. War is a horrible, 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 horrible thing. And horrible, horrible things happen during war. It's not clean. It's dirty. It's messy. It's brutal. It's, of course, deadly. And people people commit crimes. People don't follow the rules of war all the time. So I'm not a pacifist. There is a time and a place where you have to fight war. But because I know that this crazy stuff happens, you want to do it as a last resort when it's only absolutely positively necessary. You know, where we must do it to prevent another war or whatever. It just, it's just, but these things happen. And uh, when it happens, the United States, I am satisfied. We do hold people accountable. You know, we have military prisons full of people in uniform who violated the rules in the military who are in jail. We did awful things uh, on the battlefield, off the battlefield. We got Fort Leavenworth. We got all these places where we, we keep them. Anyway, uh, all that to say, uh, the American government officially does not have faith in the International uh, War Crimes Court. And I think that's uh, we don't have faith in Jack Smith. And we ha- there's even more reason to not have faith. Who's Jack Smith, by the way? He's the special prosecutor that was appointed by Merrick Garland last Friday to look into January 6th and Donald Trump and the documents at Mar-a-Lago. And he's not independent. Not in a million years is this guy independent. And uh, oh, and his wife, 
<laughs> it was interesting. I was trying to find out about this guy. Like, it was a very weird that there was so little information about him. And the New York Times would do a major profile on him. And, like, there's nothing there. Like, what's up? What? Why are they holding back information? By the way, Jack Smith. Try Googling Jack Smith. 50 million Jack Smiths pop up. Very hard to get information out. And now it's four days old, whatever. Nobody cares. The fake news has even moved on. And then little dribs and drabs. And here we go. Here's what they don't want us to know. His wife is a total Democrat, has given money to Joe Biden and others, and produced possibly the worst movie in the world. I'll get to that in a moment. But produced Michelle Obama's documentary, Becoming Michelle. This guy is a Democrat. He is a partisan. He has no business independent counsel. And by the way, that was the worst movie in the world. I actually watched a few minutes of it this morning just to remind myself how bad a movie can be. They've got a five-minute scene. I'm not kidding. Five. First of all, the whole movie is about how important Michelle Obama is. And how do you show Michelle Obama being important? Well, getting into and out of uh, sports utility vehicles surrounded by security. Half the movie is that. And then walking into and out of stadiums. You know, I have a book coming out. It comes out in January. I'm very pleased. And we're apparently I'm going to there's going to be a wine and cheese party over here. And maybe I'll get on that show. And we're going to do a reading out there at bookends. And we're going to right. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to go to Barclays Center and charge people money. All right. Granted, I don't know if I could fill the hall, but that's what they did with Michelle. She has she can't sing. She can't dance. She didn't write this book. She's got nothing to say. But they pretended she was Beyonce. They pretended that. And she's on stage and telling these uh, sophomoric, nowhere, just ridiculous, light, means nothing stories. One of them was cute. I'll get back to that. But what was I saying about that? The movie is so bad. They're showing her she's important. That's the only message. And then there's this five-minute conversation between Michelle Obama and her brother about her belt. It's like they don't know how to edit. I don't know. I, I just, it was the weirdest thing. And Jack Smith, independent prosecutor, works, collaborates with Michelle Obama on movies. She actually told a nice story about how she met Barack Obama. Uh, he calls on the phone, and she was initially impressed by his voice, and he shows up, and uh, the secretaries are like, wow, thumbs up, thumbs up, thumbs up. And he's late for the meeting, and, and, and she does a Barack Obama impression. She says, and Barack comes in, and he says to me, Sorry I'm late. I was not equipped with a umbrella on this. <laughs> I did not foresee the weather conditions. <laughs> Just, it was kind of funny, but it's not iconic funny. It's like if you're, you know, a boy, a girlfriend's with Michelle and it's brunch and you, you might hear that story and smile. It made me smile. But, you know, to sell out an arena, to give her $60 million for that book, that's... Um, She's being thrust upon us, and I feel like she's going to be thrust upon us again. She's the candidate for the Democrats in 2024. She's the one. It ain't going to be Joe. Uh, right? 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 All right. So that's uh, going to talk about that. And what's going on with the shooter in – oh, what is going on with the shooter in Colorado? And what's going on with the police involved with finding this guy? I guess they found him. He's in custody. He's not dead. He's in custody, right, the Colorado shooter? He's in custody. But last year, he was in a standoff, borderline hostage situation with police. He live-streamed the whole thing. He's barricaded in his house. 
and they arrested him, but they did not have apparently enough evidence to hold him. I'm sorry, but if you're in a standoff situation and guns are involved and a potential explosive device, I expect that you are going to jail for a minimum of 10 years. You're going <laughs> to. 10 months later, he's walking around. 10 days later, he was walking around. This is crazy stuff. All of that. I, I, I blame the overnight uh, demonization of the criminal justice system. And so many woke liberals trying to appease the mob. More on that in a moment. Oh, yeah, that's what the uh, what did the police do? They're they're announcing developments in the case like, oh, good. I'm going to have some information here. So I start watching it. Press conference from Colorado. I'm sorry, but when did the police become grief counselors? I mean, we know it was a tragedy. Tell us the facts. What do you know? And they go on and on and on about emotion. The chief stands there for about, it took, it seemed like it took five minutes for him to go through all the victims, the wounded and the dead, and list their pronouns. You know, I mean, John Smith, who goes by he, him. Jennifer Smith, she, her. It, uh, I... This is infecting us. This is infecting us. They are trying to radically overhaul, if not scrap America as we know it, and replace it with who the hell knows what. And they've targeted law enforcement for a long time. The woke, the left, they are in charge of, go through it, they're in charge of almost everything now. Uh, They're in charge of academia. Uh, They're running the media. They are running... uh, Entertainment, obviously. They're running the Pentagon, the administration. The one holdout, right, was law enforcement, which (laughs) – and now they're – now it looks like they may just be in charge there. Not yet, but we're getting there. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We made South Carolina number one in foreign investment in the entire country. And by the time I left, we were building planes with Boeing. We were building more BMWs than any place in the world. We had recruited Mercedes-Benz, Volvo. We had five international tire companies, and our unemployment had hit a 15-year low. They were referring to us as the beast of the Southeast, which I loved. (laughs) You go, girl. That's Nikki Haley, everybody, um, engaging in uh, what career politicians engage in. Uh, B.S. Sorry, that's all a bunch of crap. I don't think anybody called uh, South Carolina the, what did she call it, the best of the, the, the beast of the southeast? Give me a break. Of schmaltzy crap can possibly, possibly pass muster in South Carolina. But why am I giving her a hard time? Because none of that stuff is true about Mercedes, about BMW, Notice what she said. By the time I left, we had more. Yeah, well, how about they were there before you got there? <laughs> I mean, BMW has been in uh, South Carolina since 1992. These politicians, are ter- they will claim credit for the sun going up, as they somebody once said about them. All right, some folks have been on hold for a long time. Sal in Long Island, yes. Hey, how are you, Greg? Good, man. Listen, uh, Ron DeSantis, he's a smart man. He's a brilliant man. He will never run against Donald Trump. And the reason why is because if he, God forbid, will run, he will destroy himself. 
He's not even going to get a chance. He doesn't stand a chance against him, but he's going to destroy himself going forward. I hope so. I don't know, pal. He's a little bit really full of himself. Listen to this. Cut 31. Here he is. He's doing what people do when they want to run for president, showing up at at this group in Vegas with everybody else. And listen to this. I like him, but he's in a a rush. Too much so. Cut 31. Let the politics sort itself out. I am totally fine with receiving this incoming fire because I'm standing for the people that I represent and I am saving their jobs, their businesses, and their kids' education. And that is the most important thing to do. When you show people you're willing to fight for them, they will walk over broken glass barefoot to come vote for you. And that's exactly what they did for me on November 8th in record numbers. Yeah, all right. See what I mean? Easy there, pal. Easy. First of all, you're not the emperor of Florida. The people had a lot to do with preserving their job, not just you. You're not the first guy to win by 20 points. I'm getting a little bit, I'm a little bit tired of him already. He'll be president someday, 10 years, but not now. Sal, I don't think he's as smart as you think he is. Emotionally, I think he's not smart. Uh, Well, what? Greg, Greg, it will be like Don Jr. running against his father. He's smart. He's not going to do that. Believe me. I don't, I hope so. I hope you're right. I think, I, I. Yeah, he also basically uh, look at this. He's a career politician. He wanted to be in politics way before Trump. You know, he did, and I think he it was a way to uh, celebrity. A lot of these people, all they want to do is be celebrities. Now, listen to this part. Cut thirty, please. From uh, uh, no, no, no. Wait, where was that, DeSantis? The second one. Uh, cut thirty. Cut thirty-two. We also have chosen law and order over rioting and disorder. When you had the riots break out. I called out the National Guard immediately in the state of Florida. We had state law enforcement ready to go. We were not going to let the state of Florida burn to the ground like so many other cities across this country. All right. I don't know what the hell happened with the clip there. But uh, again, in a career politician way, said I had the National Guard ready to go. Right. He's, He's playing a game here. And by the way, I showed about a million videos last night of guess what? Stuff on fire in Florida. People rioting during Black Lives Matter. Look, we had that problem. He wasn't the most decisive governor when it came to that. This guy is uh, way too full of himself. He's belie- He's making a big mistake. He's believing his own press. Or at least what Fox News is saying about him. I'm not saying anything not, not all that great about him. I think he's uh, pushing it. And he's also, let's face it, ripping off Trump. Right? In big ways and small. Thanks, Sal. And I'll be back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, this is weird. Wow. Wow. Meghan Markle is urging people to not buy my book, says it should be banned. Greg Kelly's book must not be read. Please do not support this terrible book. Meghan Markle. Wow. That's pretty wild. She's a pretty famous per. Oh, wait. Oh. Uh-oh. All right. <laughs> Somebody says, this is what Meghan Markle would have said if she read the book. <laughs> I, I can't. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, the book, by the way, is uh, is a gem. I am very, very proud of it. Um, uh, Justice for All, How the Woke Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. It comes out January 10th. You can pre-order it right now and make people like Meghan Markle and maybe even Barack Obama 
very, very upset. I detail uh, how he created this horrible, horrible moment for America, full of racial divide, right? He did it for his own power, his own prestige, his own wealth. He's made money off of this crap. And I think is you'll find it to be a fascinating read. You can get it. Uh, it's on my Twitter. It's on Instagram. It's everywhere. Uh, you can go to Amazon, put in my name, uh, Justice for All. I was, I got to admit, when I first heard Justice for All, I was not into the, uh, I thought, I thought Al Pacino, isn't that? Because I had another name for the book and one of the editors came up with this name. I thought Al Pacino already, you know, remember, uh, what was that movie? And Justice for All. Um, that was a great, great movie. But I, I, you can name a book that too. So fantastic. Uh, I am I'm happy with that. And, uh, oh, let me, did I wrap up? Oh, who heard this? It, it's amazing that no one has really noticed it. So Joe Biden goes to a Marine Corps base, one where I used to be stationed, by the way, Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point in North Carolina. And it's a great big celebration of Thanksgiving. And quite frankly, it was, it was, it was, yes, it was, when was it, Sunday? My entire time in the Marine Corps, nine years, I don't ever remember having Thanksgiving on Sunday. It was on Thursday, but it's the kind of thing the president wants to see the troops for Thanksgiving. So, and it works for Joe's schedule. <laughs> so get a thousand Marines together on a Sunday night and uh, make it look like uh, I want to see the, uh, that they want to see the president. So can I hear, please, this moment, very strange. He's up there with the family, beautiful family. And there are pumpkins and uh, turkeys and all that stuff all over the place. Listen to what Joe says to this little kid. Go ahead. Uh, imagine this has to be boring, boring, boring for these kids to stand up here. You're allowed to do anything you want, including go steal a pumpkin if you want, anything you want to do. Folks, it's an honor for Jill and I to be here. What? You can go steal a pumpkin. You can. Go, why would he say steal a pumpkin to a child? And look, I'm not a politically correct person, right? I'm not. But I am going to point out that the kid happened to be a child of color. In Joe Biden's world, telling a black child that he can go steal something, it seems to come from a place of prejudice. Am I am I being unfair to Joe? I mean, what does it say? What does he say there? Remember when he said um, poor kids are just as smart as white kids? Remember that? I mean, remember when he told Charlemagne, if you ain't for me, you ain't black? <laughs> just. Can I hear that one more time? He's. And nobody laughs. If this is supposed to be funny, nobody laughs. Go ahead. Uh, imagine this has to be boring, boring, boring for these kids to stand up here. You're allowed to do anything you want, including go steal a pumpkin if you want, anything you want to do. Folks, it's an honor for Jill and I to be here. The, the kids are just standing there, by the way. They don't look particularly bored or anything. They're they're there. It's fine. I, I think Joe feels a little self-conscious because he every room he's in, it gets awkward really quick. The troops don't dig this guy at all. You can kind of hear it in the cheers, by the way. You kind of hear it. You don't hear anybody getting, what? You know, the Marines know how to, does that, It's you know what it sounds like? Polite applause. One more time. Uh, imagine 
This has to be boring, boring, boring for these kids to stand up here. You're allowed to do anything you want, including go steal a pumpkin if you want. Anything you want to do. Dead Folks. silence. Dead silence on the go steal a pumpkin. There's something wrong with that man. Uh, Kevin, if you don't mind. Am I overreacting? I find it very, very peculiar. And you're looking at the video. i got to be honest. I had to look at it a little bit closer, Kevin. But at first I couldn't tell. That is – you got a, oh, you got the microphone. Uh, all right. Anyway, the moment is <laughs> – that's a black kid, isn't it, quite frankly? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry. To go tell a black child, as you're the president of the United States, that it's okay for you at this moment to go steal something – as if this kid would want to steal something, I got a problem with that. I do. Anybody else care to chime in? Please let me know. Uh, what else we got going on here? Uh, oh, I already told you about Nikki Haley. I'm through with her. I'm going to hit some other Republicans who went to this event last night because it was an uh, who went to the event in Vegas. Not impressed. Not impressed at all. Uh, let's see here. We've got uh, Ted Cruz. Listen to him. This is. This is why no one's going to be able to stop Trump. This is why. If we have a fair vote, he's unbeatable. So here's Ted Cruz, shows up, and he doesn't know how to get anybody to like him. He thinks that if he talks about himself doing good things that nobody knows about or has heard about, somehow they'll wind up liking Ted Cruz. No, this is why people, unfortunately, don't like you, Ted Cruz. I actually do like you, Ted Cruz, but... You got a lot of work to do when it comes to politics. I know you're a United States senator, and that's great. That's a big deal. But you know, I don't want. I don't want to see you. Um, I hope this isn't your peak. You do have stuff to work on. Hey, it's a problem with guys who went to these uh, schools sometimes, Harvard, whatever. And if they achieved anything, a lot of them they just you can't tell them. You can't tell them. You can't give them advice. They know it all. Cut 25, please. I went straight to the president, made the case vigorously. And the day we opened the embassy, I was there in Jerusalem. I went repeatedly to the president. The day the Abraham Accords were assigned, when I was assigned, I was at the White House. I didn't believe that, so I drafted legislation in 2019. I cleared 32 of the nominees. In January of this year, we had that vote. I stood on the Senate floor and said, if you don't pass this, we will see tanks in the streets of Kiev. In December of 2019, I brought together Republicans and Democrats, and then I did the same thing in the House with the same eight players there. All 16 came together behind my legislation. It's really fascinating, actually. I haven't thought of it. I haven't felt it so viscerally before, why these career politicians don't work and why we don't like them. Now, all that stuff may be true. Maybe he's exaggerating. I know in parts he is definitely exaggerating, but, you know, you got to take his word for it. I did this. I did that. Well, I don't know about any of that stuff. You wrote this letter. You confronted this guy in committee. I don't know. Okay, you're telling me now, but it doesn't, it doesn't emotionally connect. Now, enter Donald Trump. We knew he built those buildings. We saw them. And when he talked about, when he emerged on the national scene, he didn't talk about himself and all the stuff he did. He was actually talking about where we were as a country, and he still does that. Now, Donald Trump can speak about his accomplishments. We've heard him do that. He does it differently than Ted, much differently. When Donald Trump talks about things that he's accomplished, number one, he often uses the word we, sometimes I, but sometimes we. 
That's kind of an important thing because everybody has help. You erect uh, Trump Tower, you had help doing that. Although you have a driving force, and he was the driving force. It would not have happened without him, but he had a lot of help. Um, so when Trump talks about the stuff that he did, we already are aware of those things. We know it, and then we're reminded of it. And to hear him say, this is why he's going to totally blow all of these career politicians out of the water. Uh, in addition to that, they're kind of dumb for trying this to begin with. Listen to Donald Trump speak at the same event. He does it in a cool way, by the way, via a remote, you know, satellite, if you want to call it. He's in Mar-a-Lago, and he's speaking to them. Uh, here's, a, here's a little bit. Cut 37. Under my administration, we fought for Israel and the Jewish community like no president in history. You both know that, and everybody in the room knows that. I was proud to be the greatest friend Israel has ever had in the White House. Officially recognized the eternal capital of Israel and opened the American embassy in Jerusalem. I also recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, something that most people didn't even ask me to do because they thought it was impossible. 52 years they were working on that. I got it done in one day. <laughs> and you see you see the difference? We we lived through those events, even if you weren't following it closely. And meanwhile, you got Ted Cruz again, 26. Three years ago, I launched a podcast. It's called Verdict with Ted Cruz. Oh, yeah. We do it three days a week. It became the number one ranked podcast in the world. Stop. Here's This is another great example. I didn't know Ted Cruz had a podcast, did you? I don't care. I mean, it's nice. It's the number one in the world. I mean, I know The Apprentice was the number one show in the world. We know that. But now Ted's hitting us with this new information. And isn't this a little bit beneath him as a sitting United States senator to go out there and be hawking a podcast? I don't care how big it is. And not only that, he really wants you to download it. Uh, keep going with Cut 26. We've had over 50 million downloads. Every week we beat CNN, their morning show. I want to ask everyone here to do something. I want to ask you to pull out your cell phone right now and text the word verdict to 24005. Let me give you that number again. It's 24005. Text the word verdict. What you'll get back is a link to subscribe for free. <laughs> I just that's that's kind of cheesy. That's really cheesy. Now, the other thing. These career politicians, they were all in such a rush to talk about themselves. You know what they forgot to do? To thank the people who invited them. Nikki Haley was the worst for the chief diplomat of the world. And oh, by the way, she gets something really totally screwed up. Remember, she was the U.N. ambassador, uh, U.S. ambassador to the U.N. Thanks to Trump. Trump gave her this international portfolio so that she could actually run for president with a straight face. I have international experience. I was at the United Nations for eight months, but she still is not good at diplomacy. Cut 24, please. But standing up to Israel should never be partisan. Huh? Wait, did you hear? Can I hear that one more time? What did she say? But standing up to Israel should never be partisan. Okay, it's a Jewish event. It's pro-Israel. We stand for and with Israel, not to Israel. You get it? You see? Was that a Freudian slip or what? What's going on here? I mean, come on. Uh, bad stuff. So they say, oh, Donald Trump, what a savage. What a savage. 
Does this sound like a <laughs> She just got up there and bragged. Brag, brag, brag. A lot of it false, by the way. A lot of it made up. Didn't speak about really the true cause, in my opinion. And listen to this. Cut 36, please. I want to thank you also, and it's an honor to be with you. I've been with you many times and speak with everybody at the Republican Jewish Coalition. I want to thank Matt Brooks and Norm Coleman very, very much, and also the members and staff and supporters of the RJC for their tireless work advancing our values and for their incredible devotion to the Jewish community and to the Republican Party. I got to tell you, I listened to all these speeches. I listened to Trump's last, and I was like, wait a second, Norm Coleman? Norm Coleman is there? Wait, the former Republican senator from Minnesota? That Norm Coleman? Huh. I it, it, it was. And Donald Trump acknowledges him and the rest of them just just in a in a rush to sell, sell, sell themselves. Who knows what else they'll sell? I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Let's take a call or two. Uh, Chris has been on hold from the Catskills. Where, where, where up there? Uh, I'm in Kingston right now. So I wanted to call to your attention. Samantha Shader is from my hometown area. She got arrested for the exact same crime, and she was sentenced to six years. Her defense was in the New York Post last wait, week. Her wait, 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 wait. Her, she was sentenced to what crime? For what crime? Six or years for doing a Molotov cocktail at a police car, and there was police outside of the car, and it was part of the Black Lives Matter type protest. When did she do and, this? Uh, right in the same time frame as the woman that you mentioned before, that was the lawyer with the uh, with the undergraduate degree. So she NYU, okay. So she's she Black Lives Matter protester threw a Molotov cocktail and got six years in jail prison. Six years in prison, and her defense, she had a public defender. This is in the New York Post. Samantha Shader's the name, and she's from my area. She had a Hey, by the way, who, by the way, uh, uh, that sounds about right to me as far as jail sentences. Now, I'm not going to go to uh, bat for Samantha, whatever her name is. I mean, I'm sorry. I think the other one uh, should have gotten more time. But six years in jail sounds about right for throwing a Molotov cocktail at a at a police vehicle with cops around. Her defense was is that she was on drugs and alcohol when it happened. Yeah, that's not a defense. The, the judge admonished her for it and said she was speaking out of both sides of her mouth. That sounds hey, about I right agree to me. With you wholeheartedly about DeSantis. I don't think he's that bright either. I'm not a Republican. I wouldn't vote for Trump either. I would I would write somebody in. Living in New York State, it's not going to matter. I didn't anyway. say. I didn't say. I didn't say. DeSantis is not bright. He's obviously bright. He's a smart guy. He might be emotionally. Uh, what is it? What does Eric Adams always talk? Emotional intelligence? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, look. He just. He's. He's. I, I didn't say he's not bright. But sometimes these politicians are their own worst enemy, and I think he's getting ahead of himself. So why do you bring up this girl? Why do you bring up this girl? Like, what is the? Am I? Am I supposed I was to be driving? Out? And I. I heard. You no similar talk case, about but it. I. I want you to know, though. I mean, do you feel that she deserves six years, or would you like her to get less time? No, I think that sounds about right. Yeah, so I wonder why they gave this woman so much time. Uh, forgive me for asking, but um, what was the race, uh, ethnicity of, uh, of uh, what's her name again? Schindler? Schindler? Shader. Shader. What's her, what's her ethnicity? She's white. Bing, 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 bing. I think we have our answer. I think we have our answer. I think we have our answer. Now, did you know the uh, 
the ethnicity of the individual who got 15 months? Do you know the ethnicity? I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. She happens to be South Asian. All right, so that's a mitigating factor, especially when it's a white judge handing out the sentences, right? Uh, I think that I've noticed this. I've noticed this at that that white people in authority are very, very, very nasty, uh, and and the most judgmental when it comes to working class white people. I don't know if uh, Miss Shader is uh, working class or not, but. Uh, Anyway, Chris, I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Uh, what's it like up there, Kingston? Uh, what's it like? Eh, it's a little cold. Uh, they're living off of tourism money right now. It's the aftermath of the IBM uh, boom and bust economy. IBM shut down like uh, 32 years ago. Huh. Tourism. Tourism. I haven't been to the Hudson Valley in a long time. Maybe it's uh, Maybe it's time. Hey, thanks, Chris, and I'll be back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Oh, something's in the works. Something could happen. Very interesting. I can't wait to tell you guys about it. I can't do it just yet, but it's looking very interesting. Very, very good. Ooh, can't wait. Uh, but I can't do it now. Uh, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. But uh, that's the way it goes. Uh, all right. So I already. Oh, should we? Mm. No, 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 no. I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. I got to tell you guys. I got to tell you guys. Turn the music up for a second. Uh Uh-oh. Wait. No, never mind. Sorry. I can't do it. I can't do it. I thought I might be able to do it by the time the music was over, but I can't. Not yet. All right. How's everybody feeling? The day after tomorrow is Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful, wonderful time of year. It really is. Um, hey, I want to say one nice thing about Mike Pompeo, who totally bombed the other night. I mean, oh, my goodness gracious. He came out. He tried to be funny. He wasn't. He's, uh, you know, he earned a reputation as being the loyal guy to Trump. Turns out he's not so loyal. And they all say, well, I'm loyal to the country. Yeah, okay. So am I. But, you know. If somebody does something nice for me or, you know what I mean, or somebody, if I do something nice for somebody, I got to know that, you know, all right. Mike Pompeo got two dream jobs, dream jobs from Donald Trump, CIA director and secretary of state. Um, In the world of politics, that's considered a, I think what comes along with that is an IOU, (laughs) right? I think there's, there's something in life called an IOU. People, people understand this. Career politicians, No, they're all out for themselves. And watching these guys try to hustle us, hustle us. Chris Christie was the worst. We all have his numbers. We we know about this guy. But listening to him try to say, uh, you know, he knows he he knows the secret to electoral success. Where is this? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Listen to this. This is he says, "I, I know the formula to take back the White House. Because I was uh, popular once. Cut 29, please. Cut 29. In 2009, when I announced for governor of New Jersey, a state that has not supported a Republican presidential candidate for 35 years, a state that has not elected a Republican to the United States Senate in 50 years, the longest streak of any state in America, a pretty blue state, 
George W. Bush's approval ratings in New Jersey as he left office were 18%. 18%. On election day of 2009, Barack Obama's approval ratings in New Jersey were plus 21. Plus 21. So what he's trying to say is all the Republicans were unpopular except him. In two, 13 years ago. 13 years ago. Well, let's be real here, Chris. Number one, you ran away from George W. Bush. I'm not <laughs> just, that's fine. You ran as a moderate, okay? And you got lucky big time because John Corzine came down with a whole heck of a lot of problems. Remember that deal with his firm, right? I mean, he was lucky to not get indicted. But nobody cares. This is ancient history, all right? You can't, no, you can't. And a lot of us did. And we remember this. Talk about IOUs before. We remember the hug of Barack Obama. I don't actually fault you for hugging Barack Obama. It was a hurricane. He comes to uh, help out New Jersey. That's good. Uh, But you did something right after that. Do you remember what you did? All right. Let's see here. Uh, First of all, you remember the hug. He hugs Obama. Again, I have no problem with that. It's fine. President of the United States, Governor of New Jersey, in the wake of Hurricane Sandy, hug it out. It wasn't even much of a hug. It was like pat on the shoulder. No big deal. That's fine. Two days later, they ask him on Fox and Friends, well, you met with President Obama. Will you be meeting with Governor Mitt Romney? Because Election Day is next week, and he might be the, well, president-elect in a matter of days. Listen to what Chris Christie said about that. You tell me if this guy's in it for himself or us. I think the I think the answer is quite clear here. Cut 30. For the last couple of months, you have uh, appeared throughout the country, uh, Governor, on behalf of Mitt Romney, uh, talking him up for President of the United States. I know uh, President uh, off the campaign trail today, although we hear that perhaps he's going to, Mr. Romney may do some storm-related events. Is there any possibility that uh, Governor Romney may go to New Jersey to tour some of the damage with you? I have no idea, nor am I the least bit concerned or interested. He doesn't give a damn. He doesn't want to talk to the president. Not the least bit. I could care less. Did you hear that, right? He doesn't care. Least bit interested. Because, guess what? Chris Christie did not want Mitt Romney to win. None of them did. Nobody who thought themselves as president someday wanted Mitt Romney to win. Because they thought it would enhance their own chances if Mitt Romney lost. You know who actually genuinely wanted Mitt Romney to win? Donald Trump. Campaigned for him, sent the money, was publicly and privately coaching him and urging him. And that was genuine. This is what you hear there is a is a is a politician, and that's why we don't like them. And he he actually said something that's at the event on on what was it Saturday night Saturday morning they made him speak in the morning. You have all the also-ran speakers in the morning. He doesn't like us. He doesn't like MAGA. He likens us to the John Birch Society. You know what that is? It's a, it was a very conservative but bigoted group. They had a lot of influence back in the 50s and 60s. Listen to this. Cut 27. Our party was in a 
very similar position in my mind 60 years ago. We also had conflict inside the party. And what was driven that time was driven by the John Birch Society. I think we're at a time for choosing right now. We are at a time for choosing. It is not to be left up to others to decide who our party is. It's not to be left up to any one person to decide who our party is. It is up to us. Hmm. The John Birch Society. You think uh, going with Donald Trump right now is akin to the John Birch Society? You think having doubts about the fairness of the 2020 election makes us John Birchers? What a terrible thing to say. What a horrible, horrible thing to say. It's the kind of thing Hillary Clinton said, calling us all deplorables. Remember that? Horrible guy. Horrible moment. He should be, what, give him a contract for life over there at the fake news, ABC News. He can call, he can call, be one of those political analysts, right? He's good at that, sitting on the sidelines, judging everybody. Um, But no, 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 no. Never again, never again, Chris Bridgegate Christie, right? Right? Do we agree? Sandra, you're in New Jersey. Welcome back. Hello. Yes, I agree with everything you say. I love listening to you, Greg. But I quote today because um, I want to thank you very much for always making me feel so welcome on this show. And I was sitting here thinking, we go back a while because I remember when my mother passed away and I spoke about her, you you were touched. I remember that. And that's, so our friendship goes back a long time. A long time ago, but I wanted to wish you and your family, your wife, Jill, Annalise, her little sister, your father, and your very special um, person that takes calls. He's great. I wanted to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving. Tomorrow I have a busy day, and, of course, Thanksgiving is busy, too. So I wanted to say this to you, that I'm very appreciative that you always make me feel so welcome on your show. Well. You are welcome, always will be. Your mother, great, great, great lady, B, legendary. And I heard her call in to uh, some of my favorite radio shows, always brought me great joy, really did. Just a tough but sensitive, true New Yorker, your mom, and you too, B. Um, And the other thing is, yeah, I do remember, boy, oh, boy, when you called in, I remember where I was. I was on the West Side Highway right outside of Chelsea Piers, and I said, stop dead in my tracks, because I could tell it was going to be bad news. And uh, your voice was quivering, and you gave us the bad news. But let's face it, your mom had a great, long life. Wasn't she? How old was she? 96. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. I mean, let's uh, – <laughs> that is a celebration. I mean, that is a celebration. But I really do remember thinking, because every time she called in, you know, it was just a yeah burst of energy, and 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 it was just so so good, and always so joyous, and and mm-hmm. interesting, and fun, 
And I really thought like, oh, gosh, life is not going to be as sweet for me. You know, in a weird way, it's uh, life is not going to be. a. But we move on and uh, we remember and uh, best to you and your family and that brother Dave of yours. Pretty intense guy, but we love him. <laughs> he's, he's, he'll tell you how to save the world. He's got some great ideas on how to do that. All right, Sandra, thank you so much. Have a great holiday. And I'll be back with all of you with a special announcement when I return. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, don't you hate it when you're trying to call somebody and they're not available? Especially when they're always available. Hold on a second. Let me just see. Ay, ay, ay. Who doesn't answer their phone these days, right? What is up with that? Um, all right. While well, I'm waiting for this very important information, I shall. Oh, damn it. Uh, all right. Real quick. Uh, oh, here's the info. Here it is. Here we go. Here we go. You ready for this? Uh, wait, where is it? There we go. Yeah, yeah. Ah, statement from President Trump. Statement by Donald J. Trump, 45th president of the United States of America. My friend Greg Kelly, who hosts an amazing show on Newsmax, has just written a very important book, Justice for All, How the Left is Wrong About Law Enforcement. I just saw an early copy. Greg explains how Obama undermined in America the police and started a false narrative about law enforcement. He also addresses the fake news about January 6th. I urge all patriots to order a copy now. Ah! Not bad. Mr. President, thank you very, very much. Uh, so appreciate it. Really, really nice of him. And, uh, hey, look, I'm proud of the book. I do think that Patriots should order it, and uh, I hope it moves the needle, and it certainly calls attention. I'm doing something that Mike Pence didn't have the nerve to do, for crying out loud. What's he afraid of? Why isn't he raising the questions and, and seeking the answers into why the Capitol Police let people inside, why they shot Ashley Babbitt, and take a good look at what Barack Obama did to this country, did to race relations. Remember, he was hired to help cure race relationships. Instead, he decided, for selfish political reasons, to tear this country apart and create a false narrative that somehow the police, the police were the bad guys. Absolutely a disgrace, unfortunately. And I was fooled by him. I was fooled by Barack Obama in 2008. I was. Uh, never fall for that again. And uh, I voted for Romney in 12. And uh, you know who in 2016, of course. Uh, well, thank you very much, Mr. President. That makes my day. It really does. It's the kind of thing. Actually, I'll always, I'll always remember that, that a president of the United States would do that for me, Greg Kelly. And my book, I do appreciate it very much. Yes, I've interviewed him a bunch. Um, and just to see him call me a friend, I am I am beyond honored. Know what I mean, Frank? Frank's calling from Long Island. Hey, Greg, how are you? Good. Uh, I'd like to preface my remarks. I guess I'm a patriot because this morning at uh, zero dark 30, I ordered my advanced copy of Justice for All. <laughs> uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, it was tough. If I could... Uh tell your listeners, uh, just put in Greg Kelly book. It's the easiest way. Otherwise, it keeps throwing you to the Al Pacino movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a great Greg Kelly book. That's the best way to look for it. Thank you, Frank. Uh, wh what's on your mind? It comes right up. Listen, I'd like to talk about the uh, special prosecutor appointment because uh, I know there was a lot of, uh, you know, how can I say it? You know, people were so happy that uh, – the Republicans took over the House, and there'd be all these great investigative, uh, you know, committees coming forward. 
And I think when uh, Mr. Smith goes to Washington that uh, this great investigative wave is just going to break against the rock of the special prosecutor. You know, people will be enjoined from talking about ongoing investigations because it seems he's got, uh, you know, his his spectrum is pretty wide. You know, everything from January 6th, and uh, it, it just takes in a lot. And I think people are going to be enjoined from speaking because they can't comment on ongoing investigations. Uh, it, it just seems that's the way it's going to go. Wait, who's going to be? Who's going to be? Uh, who can't speak? Who's not going to be able to speak? I think witnesses that they call civilian and government officials, law enforcement, or whatever, at all these hearings, are just going to say, "Well, we can't speak because it, it relates to an ongoing investigation." Well, he's going to have uh, look. We all know the damn thing is a scam. It really is. It's a political weapon. They have weaponized the DOJ, the FBI. There are some questions for the FBI that they refuse to answer. How many FBI agents were there? How many were there? They were. Were they stirring up trouble? Uh, I am sick of it all. I am sick of it all. Frank, thanks very much, and thanks for ordering the book, man. And the, and, I'm and, looking forward to it. And the tip, the tip, Greg Kelly book. Just put, be like President Trump. Get a copy of the book. Uh, thank you, Frank. And uh, who else has been on hold for a long time? Oh, Andrew. Is, oh, shoot. We missed Andrew. Uh, Bob in the Bronx. Greg. Yes, sir. Greg, thank you for your service. Um, when Trump becomes president, um, he's going to have to pick a new FBI director. That should be a father who has the integrity and discipline to overturn that whole agency. Well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much indeed. I agree with you. Um, maybe that'll happen. I don't think he'd take it. You know, my dad, a lot of folks don't realize this, but my father actually turned down that job all the way back in 1993. And um, Bill Clinton was interested in having him be the FBI director. But he had just become the police commissioner. My father felt like he had the best job in law enforcement and wanted to stay as commissioner. Uh, now, Donald Trump did reach out to him in 2017, right after Comey was fired. And Donald Trump said, Ray, would you uh, be, would, Ray, would you be interested? And my dad said, very much so. And said, OK, we're going to we're going to call you. And one person called. But you know who got you know who got the work? You know who got the work? You know who did this? Christie, Chris Christie. We blame Christie, by the way, Christie. All those little hijinks behind the scenes for whatever reason. Uh, Christie, you know, had his own guy. And guess what? Oh, yeah. What am I talking about? Chris Ray was his law partner, Chris Ray and Christie. Christie wanted Christopher Ray, and now we got him. I think Ray Kelly would have been a lot better. This is, once again, President Trump undermined and ill-served by these career Republicans, career politicians out for themselves, their friends. Forget about the country. Very selfish people. Bob, I thank you. And uh, let's do uh, Pat in Bronxville. Hi, how are you, Greg? Terrific. Thank you. You have a fabulous show. You cover everything. And I want to ask you your opinion because you were in the service. And uh, what did you think of the older generals, Patton, Eisenhower, and them compared to the ones today? Well, obviously, we have gone way, way, way downhill uh, for many, many reasons. Uh, but risk-taking is uh, no longer encouraged in the military. There is this zero-defects mentality. One mistake, and you can ruin your career forever. It wasn't always like that. 
You know, they used to relieve generals sometimes, and then they would bring them back to the battlefield. This is how you get war fighters. Sometimes you got to take risk in war. And uh, now all the generals, they're very, very good at avoiding risk and avoiding responsibility. So we have a new type of uh, general, and it's not an impressive one. There are some exceptions, exceptions, but very, very few. Pat, those. It's a very interesting question, Pat. What, what, what are you? Are you? Uh, tell me, tell me, where did that come from? I related to one of them. Oh, well, as I said, there are exceptions. And uh, are you related to uh, a, a general from the? Let me guess. Are you related? Because I've met a couple of you out there. There are some patents out there. Are you are you one of the patents? No. Oh. Um, one of the Eisenhowers. You're kidding. No. A third cousin. Wow. I met, I met his brother, but never met him. John Eisenhower you met, right? Isn't that his boy? Not his boy. Was that his brother? No, not his. Oh, Milton. You met Milton? One of them. I can't remember. You must have met Milton because Milton was a big man about town in Washington, D.C. He was the president of Johns Hopkins. And, um, you know, it's funny. Milton Eisenhower starts introducing his brother around Washington. And he's like, my 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 brother's going to be huge someday. And they look at they look at Dwight Eisenhower and they say, well, he better get busy because he was like 43 years old and he was just a major in the army. Uh so can I? I don't want to. But is your last name Eisenhower or Dowd, or can you say? Well, it's, I'm married, so it's different. But yeah. I still use it. My oh, name. so from a good chunk of your life, you were Pat Eisenhower. Yes. Oh man, that's cool. Did it open doors? Not really. Uh, I had good jobs, so I'm not uh, complaining. But uh, it's just that I was wondering, you know, because when you hear about the generals today. It's disgusting. It is disgusting. But you know what I mean about the risk-taking. And your your uh, your third cousin there was able to take risks and be bold. And, not you know, one mistake. And he had a few mistakes in his career, but it didn't end his career. And that's how it should be. Pat, I thank you, and I'll see you guys later. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.